This is On Location. I'm Joe Mamlin. Today's show comes to you on location from Arizona and, of course, Tim's Kitchen in Anchorage, Alaska. But first, On Location is produced by the NCIA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Tim Leitner and me. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and Radio Public, among others. So subscribe today on your favorite podcast service and tell all your friends. On today's show, Tim welcomes Dr. James Rodriguez, who's the president and CEO of the Fathers and Families Coalition of America. It's a really interesting conversation where they get into, among other things, the work of the organization that he represents and how his own experience as a father has guided him throughout his career. It's going to be a great show and an interesting conversation, so stick around and we'll be right back. Welcome back to another episode of your NCIA On Location podcast. Today, we are coming to you from locations in Arizona and Alaska. I'm Tim Leitner, and I'm with the Alaska Child Support Services Division in Anchorage, Alaska. We have a special guest today and who I've wanted to join On Location for a while. So I'm really pleased to be able to tell you that joining us is Dr. James Rodriguez, the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Fathers and Families Coalition of America. So James, let me have you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, where you come from, who you are, just what makes you, you. Well, thank you, uh, Timothy. I'm excited about being on location for NCIA and for partners of NCIA and Fathers and Families Coalition of America. So a little bit about me. Uh, first, I, I use this in a class that I teach and it starts off with filling this word, I am. And I think my first word that comes to me is I am a servant, and then I'll follow that by a servant leader. Uh, I feel very blessed to have had a great career in the nonprofit, higher education and the military. And I, I know it's still going forward, but when I reflect on it, I really feel great about some of the things that I've been able to accomplish. And I think it comes down to some of my core character traits or who I am as a person. I value integrity, honesty, being able to give laughter and humor, as well as let's be very thoughtful and mindful. And I think that I'm a person that has always been able to meet people where they're at as I want to be received in the same way. Um, Little sidebar, that has led to opportunities to include in your state, Alaska, 
uh, with the Katek tribe down in Seward, Alaska, near the Southern Gulf. Very beautiful place. And because of relationships is very important for me. It allowed me to help the tribal nation down there as they were developing programs for fathers. So I think it's something else about who I am that a lot of people don't realize that I feel like I'm very humbled to have worked with a lot of people from diverse backgrounds. And I come from a diverse background. I'm Hispanic or Latino. I grew up in both California and New York. I'm Puerto Rican. I stand on the shoulders of my grandparents who came to this country for us to have a better life. They could have stayed in Puerto Rico, worked on farms, but they felt like coming to this country would give a greater opportunity. And I, I could not undervalue or understate that I'm a product of my grandparents who had the greatest influence on me. And sometimes we think about, and particularly like working with fathers, the impact a father has on your life. Well, could also be what a father has on your life that was negative in childhood that you turn around to be positive. So my father was really not in my life. Uh, he was very, uh, wasn't very healthy as a dad, but that drove me, I think, to be a not just a good dad, but a great dad every single day. So I overflow love into my children and I even got my niece now living with us. And I think that that makes me me, but it really boils down to some awesome, awesome individuals who, who cultivated in me and nurtured me as a child, even though we didn't have a lot, like many people, I grew up out of poverty, but great neighbors, great role models. And it led me to leave home at 17 and go in the military. And the military at 17 really helped me grow into, I feel a pretty good man, a pretty good person and, and a pretty good father. So it's not just who I am, it's all the people who've come in my life and have made me a better person. And I'm grateful to being here today and just have a conversation with you about how we can help others go to the next level. Absolutely. Thank you, James. And, you know, I was going to save this question for a little later on, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring it up now. So, I mean, I, I know that you're a father yourself. And, and again, congratulations on your daughter's graduation from high school last month. I want to ask, how does a father tie into what you do with your calling to help fathers and run fatherhood programs? I shared this, I've just developed a leadership program. It's called OAR Leadership. And I give the analogy that it takes courage to lose sight of the shore. The courage part of it is to get in the boat. Well, I feel that getting in the boat, getting and rowing a boat, if no one's ever had that opportunity, you have two instruments besides the boat. We actually have a third one, a rope, but the two oars and the oar gives you faith. It's the faith that the blade of the oar was created well and will help you guide and balance water and whether the water is peaceful or turbulent. And I feel like the other one is determination or commitment. And when you are rowing, your back is to your destiny, but you still see where you come from. And yet, you know, you're going to a new place. And I feel that honestly, 
with Fathers and Families Coalition of America, there have been many times I wanted to walk away and go to a new destiny, but that was not my purpose. And I've been offered a lot of opportunities that could have made me not just financially well off, but wealthy, especially considering how I grew up. But my purpose always were, were my children. My oldest is named after me. He's gonna be 34. He went in the military just like I did after high school. I mean, he, he followed my footsteps immediately after high school within a few days to go in the United States Army, just like I did. And I have a daughter who's 32. She's my heart. And she's just like me as well, except she went on to get her master's in social work. And so I also have my youngest daughter here who's just like me. And I feel that had I not held on to faith and commitment, and determination. Um, maybe their stories of their lives would be different. I know mine would definitely be, have been. I know if I hadn't followed my purpose, which has a nexus of passion, I don't believe I would do Fathers and Families Coalition America because running a nonprofit is not always the most glamorous thing to do. It's not a position of power. It is a position of influence. And when you have uh, your budgets that you have to worry about, you have high and you have lows. And so for other positions and other opportunities, that might be easier, but I feel like the hardest thing is to actually get in the boat. And being a dad, um, and I became a single father, at, I believe age 23, 24, uh, with two beautiful kids, they have actually helped me grow into my purpose. I don't know if this makes any sense to you, Timothy, but it wasn't that I chose to do this. It was all, it, it was all predestined for me, I suppose. And I just decided to continue the journey. And for yeah. a lot of people, they walk away from their destiny. They walk away from their purpose and their passion. And it's okay, but I don't want to have a life filled with regrets, wondering what if I had stayed? What if I had made a difference? I wouldn't be having this conversation with you right now. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's absolutely about a life of purpose and passion. And and what I am getting to know about you, James, I think that you embody that. And I'm really happy to have you with us today to talk about that. You know, I, I read this on, I believe, your website. I wanted to bring this up. I read that you cultivated the vision to form a group of service providers in Arizona to improve children and families' lives with one of the nation's first temporary assistance for needy families, or TANF fatherhood grants that served over 5,000 young parents annually for the decade through the power of collaboration. Can you tell us a little bit more how that came about or what that, what that entailed? Uh, thank you. This is going back to uh, getting in the boat and purpose. So for a lot of people, I, I, I guess I'm going to really date myself. Uh, before there was TANF, it, it, it was something different. It was called AFDC. And AFDC basically is public welfare for people in poverty. But there was a shift in public policy. How long could people be on public assistance? And that also gave a lot of great opportunity. So sometimes people see adversity as a negative thing or a barrier as something that you just have to stop and maybe go the other way around. But I looked at it as a great opportunity. Now, mind you, I had just come off active duty from the military and was in the active reserves. And I had given up the first 12 years of my life to the military 
And later on, I retired out of the reserve. So my first job was a Head Start program. And I have always come from two different words that are very similar. One is wonder and one is curiosity. I wonder what could have happened had this occurred. And curiosity is, I wonder what I can learn from this. Well, I went from a place of wonder and curiosity and I had the most tremendous president and CEO role model when I worked for Pinell Gila Community Child Services in the middle of rural Arizona, in Pinell County. And she allowed me not to be put in a box. She allowed me to grow as a person and as a professional. And one of that was staying connected with public policy leaders. I worked with the state child support director and I worked with several of them, including one that uh, had an interim and then he became the uh, US Office of Child Support Commissioner, Scott Leakin. So a lot of different leaders from different political philosophies. And it came to me that if there's gonna be a shift in welfare, there was a great opportunity. And I worked with this state representative, Mark Anderson, uh, and the state senator, Pete Rios. Both of them totally different political parties, but the conversation came up about a jobs program to help low-income mothers through a basic education life skills. The next step was the fatherhood one. So in 1996, we became the first applicant to use TANF dollars through the state. Now the state still can do this, Alaska, all the way through Florida, uh, Maine, it doesn't matter, all states could do it if they wanted to use the TANF fatherhood program. And I just remember if I told you that I knew that we would, the grants that I wrote with a colleague of mine, Eugene, if, if I knew that it was going to change the lives of people, I, I, that wouldn't be honest. I wrote another one that was a, a TANF transportation grant and all of them came together at one time, bringing in millions and millions and millions of dollars for new services. And I remember Dr. Ulmer, we talked maybe about a year and a half ago, and I don't take well for the laurels of my past. I don't take well receiving gifts. I don't take well receiving compliments. And I know that that's something I could strengthen, but she sat me down and she said, your vision directly changed the lives of tens of thousands of individuals. Yes, you did not work with them one by one, but had you not came to me to create these grants, you never would have been a part of programs that change the lives of individuals. And so it goes back to, you have to have a vision, but people to support the vision. And I started reaching out to uh, workforce development, universities, community colleges, child support, child welfare, obviously TANA for the jobs or gains programs for some of the, your states, interfaith. And when I mean interfaith, I don't just mean Christian, I mean all Muslim, Buddhist, uh, corporations that never thought about being involved in working with people in poverty. And what ended up happening is it formed a coalition and that coalition was called, we didn't have a name at first. And there was a police officer there and we involved the law enforcement because the law enforcement had a program called GREAT, Gang Resistance Education Assessment Training. So the GREAT program, the DARE program from law enforcement statewide. 
And I'll never forget Sergeant Henderson looked at me and says, you don't want to call this Arizona Fathers and Families Coalition, do you? And I said, no. He said, why don't we just call it national? I said, no, one day it'll be international. However, if I share with my colleagues right now that I think that this could go beyond the borders of Arizona, I probably will lose a, a lot of them because they suffer from myopia. And what I mean by suffering from myopia is they really don't see far out in the vision. Now that was 1996. I had no idea that it really would get this far, but you see there were more people that were involved. It was not just myself, it was Dr. Ulmer fostering and, and the, the opportunity for me to be empowered within myself to cultivate my vision. It was people like Gene helped me write the grants or people like Sergeant Henderson, who was very supportive. So there was a great web of influence that led to the success of the participants. It was never about us as professionals. It was the success of the participants. And that's where this, the real true impact came from. And that was 1996. And we just kept going forward and eventually incorporated in 2004. That's James, that's incredible. That's, you know, if I do the math right, you're, you're coming into your silver anniversary, your 25th anniversary with the Fathers and Family Coalition of America. Timothy, I was hoping you didn't know how to do math. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not to, not to date anybody, but that's incredible. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, uh, I imagine it's very humbling, but it's also very, um, I just say it's very cool to see something of this nature just continue on and on and not just fizzle or die out or, or you know, pass with time. So, you know, congratulations in, in what you're doing. Thank um, you. Um, I don't mean to inject, but I wanted to share something. So, Please. For all of the uh, child support directors, state, county, tribal, you know, many leaders will come and go. But if you really want to have a vision and you want to be part of something that's legacy, it's actualizing it in the moment and allowing your team to be successful. And if you have your team be successful, then all those people that we touch their lives how, how do I know that they would not have had their transformation? But what about going from transformation to transcendence? And I think you cannot right. do it alone. So all of us, all of us, NCO, FFCA, all these executive directors of nonprofits and government, all of us are in such a wonderful position of influence. If we could just work together, because I often feel that so many opportunities were never discovered and actualized because of personalities or maybe a policy, or perhaps it wasn't a priority. But at the end of the day, the priority should be how can we help children have a better life? Yeah. And if we do that, then we are going to work collectively. We may not always agree. That's how I ended up in your state, Alaska. It was because I wanted to help people when they were asking for help. Instead, I could have said, well, no, I don't live in Alaska. That's not my problem. That's yours in Seward. And I think that's what could happen if, if as I'm getting older and I'm in a different season in my life, I know I maybe got 10 years left in this place in my life for me to be part of change. So what about the younger 
leaders that are coming up. I'm hoping that they don't make the same mistakes as the people in my generation and the generation before. Don't allow turpism to take, take hold of you. Allow vision and opportunities. And I really think that we can make a great difference in the world and change the lives of children and families. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm just picking out some words that you, you touched on here. You talked about vision and somebody has to have that big, with a bigger picture vision. And then it takes a lot of other people to come on board and say, I'm going to take up this part. I'm going to do this part. And really, I think what you're, you're talking about, that influence, that collaboration, breaking down silos, getting rid of the turf, because, man, I know there's there's a lot of people that hold on to turf. And um, not only is it not healthy or helpful, um, it really hinders working together to, to um, achieve those goals, achieve those great things that we can do as we work together. Talking about the Fathers and Families Coalition, I've got to ask, how many people, James, do you have involved in that? And what programs do you offer? So there's probably, I, I know I don't work full-time as far as a, in a staffing position. So I think with our team, with consultants and administrative help, maybe about 15. So most of them are volunteers and the rest of them are like consultants um, that come in and do faculty training. The primary programs that we offer Obviously, our national conference is our biggest one. Then we do this advanced practitioner credential training that I think is phenomenal. Uh, I believe that for a lot of professionals, it's a great eye opener. I just ended a, a course that started at our national conference. And some of my colleagues, like out of Auburn University, they want to take the curriculum. And I told them, that's fine, but that's intellectual piracy if you do that. So that's a good thing when people want to take something and use it, at, at least they asked. And then uh, we have a grant that was allowed us to create a leadership program that we just ended a, a class. Uh, it's called Or Leadership Institute. That probably is one of the more exciting things I have done as a professional since maybe the late 1990s. And I'm not saying anything against our national conference or, or public policy or some of the other things because this as a, a, a social worker and once as a licensed clinical social worker, I was able to see these leaders, these young parents go through a 16 hour program, but really the insights they gave me were a lot of healing and and next level for them as as not just as as professionals but as a mother or a father or couples and i think it was powerful and so i'm very excited about that we do other things as well we have our affiliates that we connect with and we we host i think three or four national conversations that were policy impacts practice or services in the community. I've been very fortunate to work with members of Congress on different initiatives. So policies a little bit, but the cornerstone really is professional development. Um, and then networking or relationship building followed with policy and advocacy. Goodness, that's, that's quite a long list. 
Yeah, I wanted to ask you too, I know that in 2020, you incorporated in Puerto Rico. Can you tell us about that? Well, in 2011, we had a conference. We moved our national conference that had always taken place in Phoenix to California. And a colleague of mine, Sylvia Rodriguez, asked me why. And I just felt like there's sometimes you have to leave the area that you're at so that you can actually grow. And I, I sat with her after this event and it was, it was wonderful. We had the Assistant Secretary for Administration for Children and Families as a keynote speaker, Carmen Nazario. And Carmen is originally from Puerto Rico. And I told Sylvia, I said, one day I'm gonna create a policy institute and an institute that is not so much examining domestic policy and what's wrong with it, but coming to a place where leaders can come and have guided conversations on the impacts of policies for them to operate their organizations or maybe child support and go deeper than a regular policy development institute, but more of a place where we can have guided conversation on change. And I shared with her that I felt like there needs to be a place where there's a Latino policy institute as well. Now I had already worked with policy links and other organizations that all they do is focus on public policy, which is awesome. That's a hard job to do. However, the nonprofit world, I believe most of their management and senior management and even executive leadership has a disconnect engaging policymakers. And it may be true in government agencies as well, because government agencies have to implement the strategies that policymakers lay out. And now you got to figure out and create a plan to implement it. But what if we had this place? And, and I felt working with Dr. Uh, Ida Diaz, who is the president of the Association for Teachers in Puerto Rico, who is a phenomenal educator and leader. And she retired and I felt like she could be my vice president for vice Fathers and Families Coalition of America. And I shared with her, what would she want to do? And she wanted to call it Transforming Leadership and Management Institute. And I said, okay. Well, it lined up with this curriculum that I wrote, which is called I Am Going Anyway. And the curriculum I Am Going Anyway is a leadership development program. And I said, we'll house it there and let's give it three years and watch it transform. And so much so even this week, we confirmed working with, uh, this is where I go back to the power collaboration, region two, which is New York, New Jersey, US Virgin Island and Puerto Rico, their Head Start Association on a summer leadership institute for September 22nd through the 24th. That's never happened in Puerto Rico and there's never been a collaboration like that. So. If things go well, I feel like in three to four years, there could be a great leadership development program combined with policy and a focus on the disparities of different people backgrounds, Native American, Asian American, uh, Hispanic, and African American, and people who live in rural areas. Because I don't know if a lot of people realize the disconnect for opportunities for people who live in rural areas which is very high, it doesn't matter about race or ethnicity. So 
I feel like that's the vision and we'll go forward and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens and hopefully someone does an interview and says you took over 25 years ago and they're doing great things in the year 2045 for that. Right. Yeah, right. You know, I, I'm thinking as I'm listening to you here, you're you're talking really uh, not just about, but you're you're talking about um, DEI work or diversity, equity, and inclusion work throughout what you've done, even as you talk about reaching people in rural areas. And I can't help but think about how that's going on down in Seward, Alaska, that you talked about. So your your reach is really spreading out, not just from Arizona, California, Puerto Rico, Seward, Alaska. Um, but it is a, a, a far reach. Mm-hmm. There's a, um, a gentleman, I love his, his philosophy on leadership and success. He was a phenomenal basketball coach for the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. Anyways, his name is Coach John Wooden. And he had this, this statement that has held on to me. And it says, have the courage to make character count among the qualities you seek in others. So have the courage to make character count among the qualities you seek in others. That means starting with myself, I have to have my character always improving. And when I make a mistake, admit to it and have people that wanna be of high character. And you'd be surprised how many people you question their character of what or why they're doing something because it seems self before others and they are in high level positions. And I feel like I'd rather have myself associated with someone that's beyond themselves. And that's the, that is why our tagline or our slogan for our organization is called finding a cause bigger than self. That's the character of Fathers and Families Coalition of America, finding a cause bigger than self. James, that comes right down to the next topic or the next uh, question I really wanna ask you about. Um, You're you're talking about character, reaching out to others, finding a cause bigger than self. And I can't think of of one of the bigger ways to do that than your uh, Fathers and Families Coalition conference that you just hosted in May. You did that um, annual training program and you titled it New Beginnings. I want our listeners to hear a little bit about this remarkable conference. You know, I want our listeners to know the that the New Beginnings was the first time that I met you and that I got to be involved in your vision. And I got to be a part of speaking at two roundtable discussions with California State Director David Kilgore uh, and, and others as well, and talking about the child support program to fathers that were in attendance. Um, and I got to attend workshops virtually, which almost never happened. So I, I appreciate uh, how you incorporated that this year. But let me have you talk a little bit about New Beginnings. You know, where was it at? How many people attended? What was the focus? Just whatever you want to share about New Beginnings and, and what happened and how it went. Okay, this goes back to, I don't think I've used this word. It's called Envision. And Envision is just basically the power of your vision. What is the power of your vision? In November of 2019, I was reflecting on what our agency theme would be for the year 2021. Because out of that, I'm I'm building the synergy for 2021's national conference. Now, this is November 2019. I did the same in November of 2020 
for our 23rd annual conference in 2022. That theme is love the last word. That will be our year's theme for 2022 and our national conference, love the last word. However, in 2019, it was new beginnings. And I had people come to me and say, well, can you clearly define new beginnings? What's new beginnings? And I shared this in the keynote. If everything is going well, you really don't need new beginnings. You're just sustaining or you're in growth of your prosperity. New beginnings comes because there had to be a shift, positive or negative, but primarily it comes from some form of adversity, but out of adversity comes opportunities. And those opportunities are new beginnings. I, I had, and I don't believe anyone in this world knew that we were gonna have a global pandemic. My secretary, whom I love, Alfie Mendoza Tarsong, lost her husband, a United States Marine veteran from COVID in July. I can count a lot of people that I personally know that lost life, resources, our organization, had to be the last conference at that Hilton Hotel in Los Angeles and the one on that strip in Los Angeles at the end of February of 2020. So going forward, there was conversation about canceling the conference or putting it off, even the hotel industry. But one thing about a leader, sometimes if you don't hold on to your vision and you don't want it to have that power, that end vision, then your principles will shift. And are you shifting your principles based on other people or because of your insights that you have? I just felt let's hold on and took a big risk and did a hybrid conference using a platform that most individuals would have said it had too much technology piece in it, Hoover, and changing it how other organizations had used it for their conferences. And if you recall, uh, Timothy, I didn't want any of the sessions to be taped where an individual would go back and watch it. I want everything live because when it's live, we that's the one, one of the main things that we get from a conference is the ability for us to be interconnected. And that interconnection really fosters a lot of vision, insights, opportunities, growth. Our first conference came only because I went to a conference and I was the only one from Arizona. And I sat with the Alaska group because everything was by state. I literally sat with people from your group and that's how I met the members of the Kotech Nation. So, you never know what could happen by doing that. And I felt, let's go forward. The focus really was not just only on new beginnings, but opportunities in these round tables on child welfare, health and disparities, disproportionality of social justice and criminal justice and child support. The child support track was, I feel, phenomenal. Now, it may not seem a lot, but we had 489 people virtually attend the conference, almost 100 through in person. 
And I know only about 80 people did not participate, and that's not that bad. Child support track had to have been the greatest attended track over the three-part series. There were over 200 individuals that participated in it. The entire wow. conference had, Hoover gave me a report and I, I provided to perhaps you and others who were presenting that our event had the greatest engagement than any other platform that they've had. And that includes conferences that had thousands of individuals that our networking and engagement strategies had you and others connecting with each other at a very high rate. In, in fact, there was something called community boards. They averaged 14 community boards. We had 260. The average connecting with individuals like 100, and we were at 7,000 messages. Our yeah. sponsors, and think about this because this also goes back to the child support track. Our sponsors had almost 370,000 impressions, 370,000 impressions through the internet and social media. So that meant whenever someone was looking at Tim Leitner as part of this child support track, it wasn't one person that saw it. It was the impressions from all of their, his or her network, and then a continuum that could be traceable. That meant over 360,000 people had some form of observing our conference through technology and social media. And I'm so grateful that I partnered with and I didn't say no. I'm so grateful that not only doing Hoover, I use a live streaming system and it has some glitches. I'm so grateful for all the speakers who said, I'm gonna come out of my comfort box and do this. And it was, it, there were some humorous moments because some of the people didn't know that they were live and they're trying to talk to the, talk to their <laughs> laptop. I don't know how to right. get to them. And I know you know what I'm talking about because it was funny. Yes. <laughs> so, but the, beyond the humor part was the dedication to trying to get out a message or to, to have a place where people can come together. And I hope that NCA and FFCA one day say, hey, you know what? Let's just collaborate on all our stuff. I don't care about hosting a, a national conference all the time because I think we could combine and be very, very powerful together. So we had, I think, every day, at least 21 workshops. We had tracks. So there was something there for people in early childhood, education, uh, child welfare, foster care, criminal justice. Uh, there were just a plethora of tracks and specialty trainings like our advanced practitioner credential training, a program out of Australia, nurturing fathers curriculum program. And I just feel like it was dynamic. We had five nations. We have more than five nations, but we had the top five nations. We had over 40 states. I think it was 43 states participate. And California had to be number one. Oddly enough, Florida, I think, was number two, which is kind of funky that they're so separated by logistically, by distance. So what I'm trying to share is that there were just a lot of great, great participation. And, and that could not have happened without also partnership with 
a sponsor in the Annie E. Casey Foundation. The Annie E. Casey Foundation, their CEO president, Lisa Hamilton, uh, allowing her team and the resources helped us host you and others, Timothy. And I'm just excited about it. And I think it was very, very well organized and just great participation. Um, even a lot of, uh, and I don't know how you feel, but a lot of, a lot of times you go to a conference and it's professional development, but I feel like there was a lot of personal enrichment. You know, I, I was, I was thinking about what you're saying with um, some of the glitches, which were actually wonderful uh, for my vantage point at my computer in Anchorage, Alaska, looking all the way down to Los Angeles and being able to see, you know, people in the workshop rooms talking and coming in and um, just connecting even virtually. And I've, I've got to ask, why, why was it important for you to include child support in some of your workshops and roundtables? What, what, was, what was meaningful? What did you want fathers to hear about child support? Well, I have a, a great colleague of mine, uh, Veronica Raglan. And Veronica Raglan was the state director for Arizona Child Support Enforcement. And prior to her, I worked with county director, Dr. Stephen Golightly. And way before that, I worked with Judge Bean from the U.S. Office of Child Support Enforcement. I worked with every commissioner up through Scott Leakin being part of our platform. There is uh, there's this terminology is called a Kairos moment. And this Kairos moment is where we're meant to be, we're meant to cross. And I know I have met with David Kilgore several times, the state director for California. And there were some other directors that came to the program. There was a lady that was on your panel, director Phyllis Nance, who at one time was in a, a very rural county in uh, Kern County in California. Now she's in Alameda County. I have always felt one of the guiding things if people want to create fatherhood programs is to include child support. Child support is not the adversary. It really is the collaborating missing link for many organizations working with children and families. And in particular, if you're going to be running a fatherhood program, it benefits a father if he's the non-custodial parent to have a positive opportunity working with child support. Now, on the other hand, child support really could create environments that are inclusive. We talked about equity and also where they are providing programs for fathers or mothers. And I know you're aware of this. There's a growing, growing group of custodial parents that are fathers, that are single fathers only. And the non-custodial parent is a mother. And if we don't take care of working together, one day there'll be a conference will be called the Motherhood Conference, Mothers and Fathers and Families Conference. But it really it boils down to, I said, the child. And that's why I feel child support has to be involved on any strengthening families conference, whether it's professional development, whether it's a program that's geared or targeted for fathers or mothers, 
or whether it's a program targeted for the wellness of children, as well as I feel the health department, because health and mental health, they're just different and criminal justice and child welfare. Those four pillars should be at every single one of FFCA's national and international conference, as well as others, because you can't have a conversation on how to improve outcomes for children without including key leaders and systems like what you represent. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I can I can think about when Scott Leakin was the OCSC commissioner and how he really stressed uh, tearing down those silos and worked with different administrations within Health and Human Services, the Department of Labor, and, and, and on and on. And, and really that's what you're talking about, bringing everybody in and looking about how can we better do this? How can we best to do this and really meet the needs of those participating in the child support program? Mm -hmm. And and right now with what you're doing, that is really addressing what are the needs of fathers and how do we take and bring everybody in and not be leaving people on the outskirts? So, I mean, that's it's powerful to think about, but it's got, a, it's got some ways to go. And I know, that, <laughs> I know that we got the great opportunities to do that. Yes, yes. So, you know, one, one thing that um, I can hear clearly as I hear you talk is that you've got a very special passion for working with fathers. And I just wanted to ask this question, what, what drives that passion? Where did it come from? Um, and why, for you, why is it important for you to focus on fathers and fatherhood? Hmm. That's the, a big question. The easy <laughs> question could be that I came from a household where there was no, there was a father, but not a dad. Hmm. Cause I have a father. I just didn't have a dad. That's the easy thing. The other thing is, but that's not, that's not why. I mean, I formulated it because I really wanted us to create grants. When people told me, no, we couldn't do it, then I wanted to show that we could. And I shared with you that the passion is really how can we have a better life? I'm not going to stick on a story, but there are too many homeless young men and women out here in our nation. Every single one of them is someone's son, someone's daughter. Every single one of the people that you, you all service and child support is someone's son, someone's daughter. What if we started looking like that and like we're trying to help someone's son, someone's daughter have a better life? Because that's why my grandparents came to this country they felt like coming here would be a better opportunity for us to have a better life. So that's where the passion comes from. How can I help? How can I be part of something that will help others have a better life? Yeah. So James, what, where do you see the Fathers and Families Coalition of America going in the future? If it's personality driven based on me, it will have a sunset. And that's fine. I've talked with my board of directors. Should we create a strategy to have a sunset? Everything has a purpose, but does not mean that the organization needs to continue. Someone else can do it. By doing that, though, would like to avoid having a, a void where there's not guided conversation, education, leadership development, advocacy. So my immediate hope is to have 
increase organizational partnerships, collaboration, and where the whole comes together so that probably in five to 10 years, there's someone else in the position that I'm, I've been serving at and they even take it to a better place, a higher level, because I have my strengths, but also I know some of my areas that I could grow out. That along with increased partnerships, I think it could sustain. I marvel at some of these organizations that they have 50th annual conference. Like, how do they do it? I don't think people realize how much work it is to put on a national event. It does consume at least nine to 10 months of a year. Yeah. So you really have like two years, two months of downtime before you have to continuously develop and wrap and warm up and then heat up and then provide it. Yeah. And it's just a, it's like a, a very challenging cycle. Well, I feel like if we can grow it out and other people work, work together, I think it can continue. That's if it's purpose driven. If it's personality driven because of my personality and my vision, then I could see it sunsetting very fast. Well, I, I hope the, um, I hope that the torch or the baton gets passed on and that it continues to, to grow the, the vision about what the core entities, the core vision, all that, I, that, that I think will continue on even, you know, even past, you know, Dr. James Rodriguez. So I, I know there's more to come, but let me, let me ask you this. So you talked about the 2022 FFCA annual conference is going to be love the last word. Can you tell us a little bit about where it's going to be held uh, anything more you want to say on that? And where can our listeners go to find out more about both FFCA and about the conference? Well, you can Google Fathers and Families Coalition of America. It will come up to the top or fathersandfamiliescoalition.org. On our website, there's different menu browsing pages. And one is the conference and there's a drop down for it. The theme, uh, love the last word, really comes out of a a place where I feel that I was led how many people lost so much from this global pandemic. But in the end, how many people volunteered or reached out to someone to give not that emotional intimacy descriptive of love, but love from the soul, love of giving, love of serving, maybe just putting a smile on their face time and resources and sacrifice, starting from first responders, nurses, doctors, could have been something simple, helping out a homeless person, organizations having to have a big change in how they do work. I know most of my colleagues that work in child support work the traditional nine to five or eight to five. They go into an office and now all of a sudden they had to have a a powerful paradigm shift where they had to figure it out working from home. But I feel like love the last word is also an opportunity. Instead of us waiting for people to come to our organizations, our agencies, our departments, that they're really not ours, they're theirs, and we are just to be in service for them, we could be going outwardly and increasing. And so part of the theme is what can we do to increase outwardly. I'm going to work with one of my colleagues to do one on parenting, a young parent track, which I think is gonna be phenomenal. 
and I know that you know this and some of your listeners know this in child support, what happens to the, the teenager that becomes a parent simultaneously? They're growing up and they're not even an adult and they're a parent. What kind of services do they have? How can child support help that young mother, that young father navigate a couple of journeys in their life? One, developing and yeah. reaching their aspirations, but how can they become parents as well when they're still children? So I wanted us to have a conversation on that and aging out of foster care, aging out of criminal justice programs, not just social justice on race and equity, but more of like a justice track on all of the disproportionalities that impact many, many communities and families and, and individuals and, and children. So we have our call for workshop proposal. We just released it today and we're going to accept concepts and insights if people want to be involved uh, i always believe that our stakeholders should give us what they would like to have versus what i think we could have or ms johnson or mr baker it, it's really them so we're going to host in august an open call for people who want to be part of a stakeholders meeting and they'll help guide our conference and influence it as well and it will take place march 7th through the 10th in Los Angeles at the Hilton LAX Hotel. And we're gonna bring back Hoover to create a, a hybrid platform for people who may not be able to travel or budgets restrictions. So now there will be no limitations for people to come out and be part of our event. That's, that's awesome to hear. I'm, I'm interested, I jotted down those dates. I'm gonna keep an eye on that. So, James, as we wrap up today, any last thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with? Uh, I, I want to share that I feel that child support is probably one of the hidden collaborating partners for agencies that work with children and families. And I'm hopeful that the spirit, the passion, the leadership, and the vision of, of service providers, that there'll be more communication and, and going beyond just communicating, but action driven to work together to improve children's services and fathers. And I hope that child support really starts considering providing direct fatherhood programs to fathers nationally, because you are probably one of the biggest system that works with non-custodial parents. You have the biggest potential of influence. You have the greatest opportunity to show the light switch where someone could be empowered because the empowerment is within themselves. They just need to see the switch. And if you can help them, they can lift it up. Then you as a system will have created more opportunities instead of fragmented or people's visions that child support is adversarial, which is not true. And I feel like there's a lot of great opportunities that child support could do if it really wanted to, but it would require the same paradigm shift that happened from COVID for where you had to work and not be in the office. It'd be the same type of powerful opportunity as a system to make a difference in the lives of others. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, well, well said. You know, talking about 
engaging with fathers to empower them for the benefits of their children. So yeah, those, those are strong, meaningful words. Well, James, I wanna, I wanna thank you for joining us today, for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk about fatherhood programs and engaging with fathers, for talking to us about the Fathers and Families Coalition of America and the goals and programs that it provides. James, I wanna thank you for sharing your time with NCA today as we collaborate together for the participants that we share. Thank you to our listeners for joining us today. We will talk to you again next time on the podcast. I'm Tim Leitner, and this has been On Location. Thanks again very much to Dr. James Rodriguez for joining us on the show today, for sharing his perspectives, and for giving us all a lot to think about. And thanks as always to Tim Leitner for all of his work in editing and producing the podcast. On Location is available on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. We have a lot of great episodes on the way, so be sure to subscribe and listen to all of our previous episodes as well. We also appreciate your ratings, your feedback, your comments, and your suggestions. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to us on the contact link on our website. On Location is a production of the NCA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Tim Leitner and me. Thanks for joining me. I'm Joe Mamlin, and this has been On Location. Is your refrigerator running?